Last week, um, as I was wrapping up uh, the, the Ezra and Nehemiah portion of the scripture, <clears throat> I spoke at length about the need for constant spiritual renewal. In other words, revival or recommitment or rededication is not a thing you do, you know, in youth camp and when you're in high school, then, you know, maybe one more time in your life. I, I want you to think about that with a little more frequency. Spiritual renewal is something that's needed continually, often in our lives. Uh, whenever you sense that maybe you get this attitude about God or church or worship where you just feel like, yeah, whenever that, yeah, creeps into your life, that's like a, that's like a red flag to you. Hey, I, it's about time for rededication. It's about time to get those fires restoked and stir the coals and ask God to, to light the fire. And when I talked about that last week, uh, you saw how Nehemiah did that with God's people and how he kept them focused on the task. Uh, and it involved, and I gave you several items, but it involved renewing your enthusiasm for worship. It involved engaging with the Bible. That's always a, a, a catalyst for spiritual renewal. Uh, it involves letting someone help you. Most people don't stay on fire for God on their own. This is why we need constant community. It's why we have discipleship groups. It's why we have worship services. It's why we have Bible classes and modules on Wednesday and fellowship together with other believers because it's really hard to stay on fire for Jesus for an adult lifetime on your own, isolated. Matter of fact, it will not happen. You need the community around you because the truth of the matter is, on a day, let me use a season, on a season when I'm cooling, Damon may be warming. I need to hang with Damon to stay warm. Uh, in a season where you're cooling for the Lord, try to find people who are on fire for the Lord. And uh, being together is what creates that constant spiritual transformation in your life. Now this morning, obviously, there's communion stations all over the church this morning. Uh, we're going to be taking communion here in just a few moments. When you take communion, here's what I want you to remember. This is something that God's people have been doing for 2,000 years. Uh, this is not a modern phenomenon. Ever since the night before the crucifixion in the upper room, when Jesus gathered with His disciples and He said, This is my body which is broken for you, this is my blood in the new covenant. We have entered the New Testament. We have entered the new covenant. And now I am, I am constituting you as the church. And I want you to do this till I come again. Till the Lord returns. We are to do this. And our spiritual ancestors fulfilled that. Whatever you want to say about them. They were faithful in communion. They were faithful in doing these memorial services. And brought it all the way over the ocean 2,000 years we've been doing this. Now, everything that's new is not bad. Everything that's new is not good. Everything that's old is not good. We don't want to go back to a million things I could name. But everything that's old is not bad either. And some of the ancient practices should still be the modern practice because we are still the church. And like we said, the Apostles' Creed in a moment, communion is one of those things. I want you to be patient with me because I want to keep pulling these things 
into the new year, into our services as we worship, I would like to get to the point where the Apostles' Creed was incredibly familiar to you. The Apostles' Creed, let's, let me just, maybe you haven't been with us and you're, you're, you're new here. In ancient baptism ceremonies, I'm going way back, okay, third century. In ancient baptism ceremonies, when we got ready to be baptized, like today, here's how we do it. Damon, have you received Christ as your Savior? One word answer. I baptize, that's all that's required. You affirm that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Yes, I'll get you through baptism. And most of you are glad because you're not speech people, right? In the old days, it wasn't this way. In the old days, they said, we're about to baptize you. Can you make a confession of what you believe? What does this mean to you? Who is Jesus to you? Who is God to you? Do you understand what you're doing? Make your confession. And the oldest form of this that they found is something called the Old Roman Creed. And it's a, it's, a, it's a more ancient, rudimentary form of the Apostles' Creed. It's not as comprehensive. The reason we call this the Apostles' Creed is because it evolved from the Old Roman Creed because this is where they confessed it. In those Old Roman world, in the baptism ceremony, they would say, Steve Peters, you've received Christ? All right, make your confession. And those being baptized would recite from heart, from memory, either the old Roman creed or then they updated it into the Apostles' Creed and made it longer. Boo for the candidate, right? More to memorize. They made it longer and more comprehensive. Now the reason we call the Apostles' Creed the Apostles' Creed is because the apostles have already died now and gone to heaven, but the apostles wrote the New Testament. And so it takes the teaching of the apostles and distills it down into about a hundred words, depending on what language it's in. Because obviously every language has a different word count in how they describe things. So, in about a hundred words, this is what Christians believe. Now, I'm going to tell you why this is so important. Because in your everyday life, at school, at the university level, uh, in your adult life, people are going to engage you around what, who you are, what you are, what you believe. And I have noticed in my lifetime of leading God's people that it's God's people struggle to articulate what they believe. So the default answer that most Christians would give, if you were to say, you know, like in a university setting where there's lots of pressure, lots of peer pressure to be something else, what do you believe? Most Christians would say, well, I believe the Bible. Okay, but that's not helpful. That doesn't say, if you say, I believe the Bible, I'm still foggy on what you believe. You've not said anything yet. What do you believe? I believe the Bible. Well, what does the Bible teach? I don't know what the Bible teaches. What do you believe? The Apostles' Creed is so distilled that the Apostles' Creed gives a Trinitarian statement about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and about the church and the resurrection and communion and heaven and hell and things to come. In a hundred words, it says, I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. Atheism's out right there. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Now you've established the lordship of Jesus Christ. Third paragraph is about the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, I would just want to put this back out, because a year ago I preached all the way through the Apostles' Creed. I think it would be great in our discipleship groups... If maybe you guys would say, hey, you know what, besides my Bible memory verse, I'm going to try to memorize Apostles' Creed in 23. It would be a great thing to tackle in a small group setting where there's some accountability. The phrases are very short. You could master this. 
Just think about it. I'm not mandating it. Just think about it. But it might really enrich your life. And you may find yourself, who knows where life's going to take you young people. Ten years from now, you're going to be at a university somewhere. You're going to be in another city somewhere. You're going to be at your law firm somewhere. You're going to be nurses in hospitals and doctors in, in surgery rooms. And you're going to be living your best life, running businesses. And ten years from now, your life's going to be way down the road in another city away from your parents. And you may find a moment where you've had, you know what, somewhere I left God behind. Who am I and what do I believe? You memorize the Apostles' Creed right now, and 10 years from now, as an adult, when you're prepping for surgery, here's what you'll remember. I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. We want to get that down into the DNA level, the, the, deep into your heart, where that sticks with you if you forget everything else. I told you about, a long ago, about a friend of mine who was in the Korean War, uh, obviously much older than me, in the Korean War, and uh, uh, he was shot up pretty badly. Uh, he was behind enemy lines. Uh, his hands and feet, he eventually lost uh, both legs and, and pieces of his, his hands. He was wounded. He was frostbitten. It's below zero cold. He's underclothed, wounded, bleeding. He's crawling on his elbows and knees all through the night to get away from the Chinese communist troops. He crawls across a frozen lake, barely clothed, leaving a trail of blood. And he said, the only thing I could think of in my mind as I faced death, crawling across frozen Korea, is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. A song I had sung in Sunday school as a kid. And he tells the story of, he would just put one stub down, Jesus loves me and he crawled across that whole lake just reciting what he could think now you say well that's you know crazy listen there are going to be times in your life when you need god and you can't remember a lot of things your thoughts and your mind are jumbled and tangled and you can't hear from god and you're trying to reconnect you don't diminish the power of the lord's prayer don't diminish the power of the Apostles' Creed. Don't diminish the power of a praise and worship song that gets stuck on a loop in your head and just gets inside of you and pops out at different times in the shower or the boardroom or wherever you're at. That's what we're shooting for, okay? So now, uh, at baptism, these ancient Christians would say, what, what, what's your confession? They'd jump up and they'd say, before I get baptized, I'd like to tell the congregation, I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, uh, our, our Lord, his only Son, who, who was uh, conceived of the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary, and they just rattled the whole thing off. And then they would baptize them. Now, that was the ancient way of doing it. Uh, this morning, I just want to focus on two lines, which are troubling for our tradition. And I want to, if you can deal with those two lines, then you can deal with anything, Okay. My goal is to reaffirm that we do believe in the two lines of the creed that say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, and I believe in the communion of saints. At baptism, these ancient Christians would confess that they believed in God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Catholic Church, and the communion of saints. Now let me get to what's troubling to you. As the English language has evolved over the centuries, hundreds of years... The meaning and usage of many words has changed as we get into the modern uh, era, especially 
There are dramatic shifts in the English language happening right now before your eyes where words you thought meant one thing now mean a whole another thing completely. For people in who Christians in America who are not Catholic, for Christians in America who are not Catholic, if you were brought up in a non-Catholic tradition like I was, my tradition was loved pointing out the errors of the Catholic Church and uh, uh, sometimes hiding their head in the sand to their own errors, okay? But my, tr- my tradition loved pointing out the errors of the Catholic Church and they had a negative reaction to the word Catholic anywhere in religious writing. Now that's just my tradition, not putting that on you. I'm just saying that's what many in this room grew up with. If it came from Europe and it's ancient and it's Protestant or Catholic, either one sometimes would have a visceral reaction to it. And many of the things that are practiced in American churches, especially in the South, right now are dramatic overreactions to things that Christians have been practicing for 2,000 years. In other words, the, the, we are so casual in our culture and so, so non-formal, so non-liturgical, so non-structured, so free that when we see those very liturgical, structured, high church services, we have a negative reaction to that. Okay? And all I want to say to you is this. 2,000 years of Christians are not all wrong. Okay? I'm not saying they're all right. I'm just saying they're not all wrong. And you don't have to distance yourself from that. Matter of fact, if we took an ancient Christian and dropped them here in this room today to hear what's happened here and what's happening right now, they wouldn't recognize this as a worship service. Because it would be so foreign to the way that they worshipped. Their worship was very different than this. So all I'm saying to you is, not saying one's bad or one's good, I'm saying don't hate on ancient traditions and don't, don't be quick as I have been in the past. I'm confessing my crimes and my sins. I was taught to. Forgive me. Don't be too quick to beat up other religions. Okay? That's exactly the problem, not the answer and the solution to going forward. Okay? So let's talk about this morning our belief in the Holy Catholic Church. When the Apostles' Creed has this line, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, it doesn't mean Roman Catholic. So here's where Christians have to separate in your mind two different things. It sounds like I'm saying the same thing, but I'm not saying the same thing. The Holy Catholic Church is one thing. The Roman Catholic Church is a subset of that big thing. The Holy Catholic Church is this. The Roman Catholic Church is a piece of this. They are two different things. Let's go to the dictionary just so you know I'm not crazy. Merriam-Webster says this on the word Catholic. Definition A, forming the church universal. That's the big thing. Catholic church. Lowercase c, forming a universal church. B, forming the ancient, notice this word, undivided Christian church. Definition C, if capitalized, it means something different. If capitalized, it means the Roman Catholic church church definition two is simply comprehensive church or universal church let's put all that together and figure out where we are then this morning the word catholic means that all true believers are in one undivided church are you a believer 
Have you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior? All right. Then you are, at your belief, you become a part of the body of Christ, a one universal Catholic church. Not Roman Catholic church, a universal church. That's what the word Catholic with a lowercase c means. If you want to self-assess, then I'm just going to ask you, your, assess your own understanding. Are all believers uh, together in one undivided body called the church of Jesus Christ? This is what the Bible is talking about. But now we've made the church to be something very different in the past uh, 2,000 years of human history. We believe, and this is what I've taught now for 44 weeks coming out of the Old Testament series. We believe that the plan of God has always been to create a human society of people who will be His image bearers. We believe this has always been the plan of God, that He created Adam and Eve, and He said, you are my living images, multiply, rule over the earth, create a human society that are image bearers of Almighty God who reflect me in this creation. Uh, We believe that Israel was the idea that God would have His own nation of those people. We believe that the church is the new Israel. In other words, the church is now, late in history, the culmination of everything that God has been intending. We believe that the church is now, this is it, all coming together. This is not DNA Abraham. This is anybody Uh, It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what your family uh, DNA and heritage is. This is every believer coming together, the culmination of what God has been wanting all along for human history, that we would be one people. Uh, Let me say it a different way. The church is to be the answer of what's broken with humanity. When you turn on the evening news and you see strife, strife is always about pitting groups of people against each other whether it's black and white, or Hispanic and white, or whether it's uh, uh, Democrat and Republican uh, uh, political lines, or whether it's conservative, liberal, along ideological lines. When you see strife and unrest and rioting, it's about people being divided into groups that are pitted against each other. That's what's broken with humanity. The church is not to be that. The church is the answer to what's broken. With humanity. So rather than the church being about, well, you're in that camp and I'm in this camp and you're Pentecostal and I'm Baptist and you're Church of Christ and, and I'm Catholic and you're, you're charismatic and I'm Orthodox, that's the world's viewpoint. That's nothing but arguing and fighting and dividing that's antithetical to everything that God wanted His church to be. As a matter of fact, I'll go even further that the Christian church is to be Catholic, universal, and that God intends for the whole human race to be one family who are saved, born again, transformed into His image, and on the mission of making disciples. And God is calling people together in His church. This is what churches all over the world should be championing this morning, that God is pulling people together, not dividing them apart And whenever you discover divisions in the body of Christ, then I want you to know that your king is calling you to step across the line of division and take one hand and another hand and join them together. You are to be champions of unity in the body of Christ 
you are not to be the dividers. Let, let me just show you how this plays out quickly in the New Testament. Paul's writing the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. There's obviously some division. Watch how he speaks to them. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now watch him use the word one in this next verse. You see what he's driving at. There is one body. There is one Spirit. Just as you are called in one hope when you were called. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. Now I've spent a good deal of my life in Bible college and seminary studying through all of these things. And they have lots of divisions and lots of debates and lots of discussions about is sprinkling baptism? Is that valid? Is pouring baptism? Is that baptism? Is that valid? Is immersion uh, the only one that's valid? And we, we fight about everything. Let me just say to you that the New Testament says there's one baptism. One spirit. One church. And one Lord. You say, yeah, but there's, I know, but there's only one. You say, well, you're saying you're right and everybody's wrong. No, I'm saying if you're in a wheelchair and Ezekiel rolls you up in front of the church and they have to pour water on your head because they have no baptistry and can't get you in one, then that's valid baptism. That's what I'm saying. And I know that doesn't set well with my Baptist brother, but that's just one baptism. Brother, are you saved? Yes, I confess Jesus. Well, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. You know, uh, he's not less of a Christian because he can't get into a baptistry somewhere. He's proclaimed his faith publicly. He's gone through the ritual. He symbolized his faith in Christ by receiving baptism. If it's the best we can do, then it's just the best we can do. And I think the Lord understands that we're trying to do our best. Uh, Throughout history, there have been groups of Christian believers scattered all across the world. I just showed you pictures of them. Man, one on this coast of India, one on that coast near Pakistan, one over here in Nicaragua, another believer's up here near Mount Everest in the foothills of the Himalayas in Kathmandu. This morning, our disciples, disciples of Cornerstone Baptist Church, are scattered all over the world. And they are very different people with all different cultural baggage. And although we are distant from one another, we are one family in Jesus Christ. We are one universal church. They're not a different church, one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. When Ezekiel, when, when uh, Omar baptized the five brothers from Nicaragua in somebody's swimming pool, that's just as good as us right here in the baptistry. That's the one baptism, one faith, one Lord. You say, but it looks different. It's okay. You look different. It's okay. You are different. It's okay. Your personality is a little different. It's okay. The Lord is accepting us all. That's the point and uniting us in one body. The point is this. We all have the same gospel. We all have received the same Holy Spirit into our life. We are all worshiping the same Lord and Savior. And we are all a part of a universal church. Catholic, universal, global, international, worldwide Whatever synonym you want to use, you get the point. 
we're all connected together to those people I show you every week through their belief in Christ and their filling with the Holy Spirit. At the cross of Jesus Christ, our sex, our race, our social status become irrelevant. This is so important for us. In the baptism waters, all of the social divisions of the world are irrelevant. The millionaire and the pauper are baptized in the same water, in the same confession, in the same power of God. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter. There's no different, oh, you're Asian. Well, do you, we don't have to give a better test for you because you're smarter. If you can solve this math equation, you're in. It's not like that. We are one in Jesus Christ, and all of those distinctions don't matter in this room. All the thing that matters is our unifying spirit and our unifying belief and our unifying gospel and our unifying Savior. This is what Paul basically told the church of Galatia who was struggling with all this division in the church. Let me read for you. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile now. Just Christ. You put on a robe that's Christ now. We don't see Jew or Gentile when we look at you. Neither slave nor free. You may be a slave, but if you're here to worship this morning, we don't see that. We just see Jesus Christ. There is neither male nor female. Nobody's a second class citizen in the church. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now here's what I want to say to you because you live in an era of identity championing. A lot of people talk about identity right now. Let me talk about identity for a minute. Our new identity in Christ supersedes any previous identity. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, white, black, Hispanic, Caucasian, Asian, straight, gay, bi, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat, you realize that's all irrelevant now. It's being minimized. It's being uh, pushed away. Instead, what these born-again people are supposed to be saying is, I'm a follower of Jesus. My new identity is in Christ. And being in Christ supersedes me being a Mason. It supersedes me being Church of Christ. It supersedes that I come from a long line of whatever. It supersedes anything in your life. Uh, We've not championed that being a follower of Christ is the greatest title you could wear. So we have all these other titles and identities that we carry along with us. Listen, there's nothing higher than saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And for Anglo-Southern Baptist Pentecostal Church of Christ Republicans, you've got a lot of labels. Let's get being a follower of Christ above all of that. So that the most important thing is Christ... Be magnified, as you just sang, and everything else is subservient to Christ. Be magnified. So being in Christ supersedes any previous identity because now we are part of the body of Christ. Now, let me just, uh, you're saying, well, you're, you're, you're introducing some new ideas to us, Pastor, and this is not Baptist teaching. or No, this is just Bible teaching. Let, let me present to you what a lot of different denominations say. And then you won't just hear from one. So here's the Methodist response to the Apostles' Creed, I believe, in the Catholic Church. 
The Methodists say, when the creed states, quote, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, it refers to the wholeness of the whole church in all times and places rather than to a specific branch of Christianity. This is an article in Christianity Today by Timothy George. The word Catholic was first used in this sense in the early 2nd century when Ignatius of Antioch declared, quote, where Jesus Christ is, there is the, I'm going to use the word universal, universal church. There is the Catholic church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church as well as its Lord. Protestant believers in the tradition of the Reformation understood the church to be the body of Christ extended through time and space, the whole company of God's redeemed people through every age. So it's not just about, you know, Ezekiel in India as a part of the church. It's about Paul 2,000 years ago as a part of the church. And your grandparents 100 years ago were part of the church. It goes through time and space as well as geography. Protestants do not equate Catholic with Roman Catholic, the word Catholic simply means general, universal, concerning the whole Bible. Now, I just want to say this. If you're raised in the Catholic tradition here this morning, and many of you were, I'm not beating up on you. I'm just trying to help the Protestants reconcile a problem they have. I'm not against you. I'm against the Baptists, okay? So I want you to understand what's happening in the room right now in case you wonder. I'm trying to get the Church of Christ and the Pentecostals and the Baptists and the Assembly of Gods to soften their stance on Catholicism because I think, the, like saying the Apostles' Creed, Catholics have been way ahead of us on this. It's about time for you to catch up. The Catholics take care of their churches through giving. It's time for you to catch up. The Catholics are Catholic. I wish you would be a disciple maker as stringently as they are Catholic. You see what I'm saying? I want you to catch a little bit of what they've got. Okay? So this morning, Protestants do not equate Catholic with Roman Catholic. The word Catholic simply means general, universal, concerning the whole. As a matter of fact, the John 17, this is the whole uh, 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 climax of the book of John where Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he's given that upper room discourse. And in John 17, Jesus prayed that his disciples would be one. Catholic. Universal. One, even as Jesus and the Father are one, so that the world would look at them and believe. They would believe by watching God's people practice unity in the body of Christ, that other people would come to believe by observing that. And I think it's right to pray and to work for complete unity in the church of Jesus Christ on earth, which we know ultimately will be realized when Jesus comes, but there's no reason not to start right now. Westminster Theological Article, this is a Reformed church, quote, The creed is not identifying itself with Roman Catholicism. Rather, it is saying that the church is universal, that it is not bound to a particular place or location, the church is to be found everywhere that Christ is worshipped in spirit and in truth. The Presbyterian views expressed by Dr. Lingen Duncan, we believe it is a Catholic church because it embraces all true believers everywhere apart from the specific denominational affiliations. Matthew Henry, when we take God for our God, we are taking God's people for our people. 
This unified oneness that all of these theologians are talking about is expressed by Paul again in the book of Ephesians. Let me read to you. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far away have been brought very near by the blood of Christ. Talking about Jesus. For he himself is our peace who has made two groups, what? One, unity. And has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, Christ's purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of two. God is doing something to bring people into his church to create one new Israel, one new humanity thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which He put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one, one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, But you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. What He's saying is you're the church too. Just as much as Jesus, the apostles, and the ancient Christians are. Embrace that as your identity. The Gentile Christian, you're in. The Jewish Christian, you're in. Slave Christian, you're in. Rich Christians, you're in. Female Christians, you're in. Male Christians, you're in. You're all in if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Every tongue, every nation, every tribe, every DNA, every eye shape, every language, every passport color. You're all in as long as you have faith in Jesus Christ. There are not two groups. There are not three groups. There are not a bunch of denominations. There is the church of Jesus Christ. And it's to God's glory that we who are very diverse people in this room right now, with very diverse backgrounds, have all come together and we can be together, we can worship together, we can celebrate Jesus together every Sunday with no divisions and no schisms and no friction, all in unity. We can give together, take the funds and do missions work and great things all together, together, together. That gives God glory. Uh, we, we don't have a bunch of we have five different churches. We have a church. Ephesians 2.21. We are carefully joined together in Him. And we are becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Now, Skyler, I see you sitting back there. When you went to Bible college, they always wanted to debate this. Is the church local or universal? Now, it doesn't take a theologian. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out. That the church is both local, look around, here we are. And the church is invisible because I can't see all of our disciples worshiping all over the world, but they're the church too. The church is both local and it is a universal church as well. It's invisible in its universal expression. In other words, you can't see the global church. It, the global church never, never gathers like this all at once. There's no stadium big enough to hold it and we couldn't all get there. Is that fair? You can never assemble the, 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 the whole church. So we assemble the local churches in the community. 
And in this neighborhood, here we are. And in another neighborhood, there they are. And in another neighborhood over here, there some more Christians are. We are gathered in our neighborhoods, in our churches. You say, well, we're the church. Are they the church? Yes, they are. What if their sign looks different than ours? Are they the church? Uh, What if they have a different denominational label than us? Are they still the church? Go ahead. Get out there on the edge. Yes, they are. If they believe in Jesus Christ, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit, just different expressions of that as we have slightly different understandings, and that's okay. I want to try to get you from our tradition to begin to soften your thinking and reverse your harsh boundary. God is not about... Listen, do you think when Jesus returns and and all the Christians are here and the Lord Jesus is back, do you think there's going to be like the Baptist Christians and the Methodist Christians and the Anglican Christians and the Church of Christ Christians and the Pentecostal Christians and the Charismatic Christians? Have you thought that through at all? There's just going to be those who believe in Jesus Christ. And maybe we'll get a chance to say the creed together. Wouldn't it be cool if Jesus said, so all of you folks that are here and have made the resurrection, what do you believe exactly? Can we find some common ground with the other denominations? Do you think? Yes or no? Do you think all the denominations could say this? I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. I think I could agree with that. If my Catholic brother, my Methodist brother, or my non-denominational brother said, and I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, conceived of the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary, I think I could say amen to that. And if my Pentecostal brother said, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, I'd say amen to that. I do believe in the Holy Spirit as well. He lives inside of me. How about you? You see, we've got more common ground than we have uncommon ground. And let's refuse... To be divided. Division does not honor God. Matter of fact, uh, some theologians take such a strong stand, they believe that division is a repudiation of the cross. Because you're saying that some people, because they believe slightly differently, aren't in. That's a repudiation of the gospel to have division within the church. Maybe so. Well, let me see if I can wrap this up. We believe in the communion of saints. That's the second part of that line. So if I ever say from here, hey, let's say the creed, And you get the line on the screen that says, I believe in the Catholic Church. You don't have to be nervous about that, okay? You understand it means one universal church, and we're either a part of it or we're not. And if you say, I'm not a part of the Catholic Church, will God help you then? God help you. Because you're saying, I don't belong to Christ. God help you. And I would say this, if you're not... If you're part of Christ because of your belief, but you've not connected it to this point I'm about to make, the communion of the saints, I want you to be thinking about that for the next couple of minutes. If I told you I was going to speak about communion today, what synonym would you assign to communion? Lord's Supper, breaking of bread, sacrament, some religion, some the Lord's table is the word they use for that. If I said I was going to speak about communion, the synonyms we get are immediately in our mind, have to do with the bread and the wine. When the creed uses the word communion, I believe in the communion of the saints. Communion in this context isn't specifically talking about this meal. 
it includes this, but it's also talking about something that's happening in this room every week, something that's happening in here right now. This is communion of the saints. The word communion in the Greek actually means partnership or participation. So if we take communion, we're participating in something together. Let's take communion. Let's participate in the meal that God uh, prescribed for the New Testament church. Communion, in its bigger definition, is assembling the church for fellowship. Uh, we had communion here last Sunday night. We broke out the Christmas trees, and we had chili in the foyer, and chili on the floor, and chili in the carpet, and chili on our clothes, and we had a nice chili cook-off, and some church decorating, and just some casual, you know, time together. That was also communion, because the church is laughing together, and working together, and playing together, and enjoying each other's company. Communion is also where what's happening right now where next door somebody's teaching your children watching your little ones teaching them memory verses someone is uh, uh, quoting bible and telling bible stories and we're using our gifts communion is what happened in here before the service where deacons are setting the room up and getting everything ready and preparing the 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 cup and preparing the bread matter of fact they were baking that bread this morning Uh, i asked them are we going to have some butter with that but i expect that to be very fresh uh, that's communion. When we come together and sing worship together, that's communion. When we get into the Word of God like this for a few minutes every week, this is communion on the Word of God. When we can be together as a church, that is communion. So let me just give you a, a quick recap. Communion, communion of the saints would be giving together. Communion of the saints would be Susan us taking a piece of our wealth, connecting it to a piece of Steve's wealth, and connecting it to a piece of Chris's wealth, and connecting it to a piece of, uh, I don't know which small wood has the wealth over there, but to the small, the small wood wealth, you know, and connecting it to the Johnson wealth, and connecting it to the Jared wealth, and, and to the Mesh wealth, and just connecting our wealths and our livelihoods together, and putting that together and saying, now we can go do something big for God. It'd be really hard for Susan and I to do something big for God on our wealth or lack thereof. You understand what I'm saying? But when we can start connecting it together with your wealth, suddenly pennies become dollars and dollars become thousands and thousands become tens of thousands. And suddenly now we're ready to take on a project that will change people's lives forever for the kingdom of God. That is communion of the saints. I'm going to read for you from Corinthians, how Paul told this to the Corinthian church. Each of you should give what you've decided to give in your heart. Remind me to talk about that next week for a minute, okay, just for a minute. Uh, Tithing is not in the New Testament, by the way. This is in the New Testament, and I'll be glad to talk about that next week. Old Testament, they were prescribed to give a minimum of a tenth, and they had other temple gifts they had to give on top of that. The New Testament, in the New Covenant, there's not a rigid tithe talked about. Instead, this is called grace giving, but this is what it looks like in the New Testament. Every one of you should give what you've decided in your heart. Now, if what you've decided in your heart is less than 10%, then you're not giving what an unsaved Jew would give in the Old Testament. So I would challenge the, you know, the seriousness of your heart on that. But uh, give what you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves the cheerful giver. Communion would be participating in the assembly. I talked last week about a vigorous worship, about engagement in worship. That would be communion also. Communion is church worship. Let me read Romans 15. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you to live in complete harmony 
with each other. By the way, this is talking about the church, but wouldn't this be beautiful if this was marriage too? God who gives this patience and encouragement help you to live in complete harmony with your spouse. Wouldn't this be wonderful if this was also about raising teenagers and children? In our homes, may God give us patience. May God encourage us to live in complete harmony with our children and our children to live in complete harmony with mom and dad. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be better than yelling at each other and raise voices? At, at, I think this would be better. Help you to live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Then all of you can join together with how many voices? One voice. When we come together and we're being led in worship, do you realize we're saying amen because we have blended all of our voices together to say the same thing? Christ be magnified. You were saying those words. I was saying those words. Damon was saying those words. You were saying those words. You were saying those words. You were saying those words. We've all blended our voices together. You know what we all said? Christ be magnified. It's a form of amen. We agree. With one voice we speak. And we proclaim that Christ is Lord. Look at verse 7. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. That gives glory to God. There may not be many places in life where you feel accepted completely. I know at school there will always be some group that doesn't want you in their group. And sometimes in our adult world, we feel the same thing, that there are groups and we are not a part of them. But I want you to know in the church of Jesus Christ, you're fully accepted here. You're fully accepted. Christ accepts you, and we accept you. I'm asking you to accept me. I don't have it all together, but I'm being transformed by the Holy Spirit day by day. So I ask you to be patient with me as I lead you, and I promise I'm going to be patient with you. You're accepted just as you come through the door, but God loves us too much to leave us in that state, so he's going to try to change us to be a better version of ourselves, and that's okay, that's good. Let him change you. Communion is making it your practice to show up and participate in the assembly. So we're going to take communion, but I want you to know that communion in its bigger context is what you're doing right now. You make it a... Listen, here, here's something I would challenge you with. In 2023, take the church seriously. Take being a part of the church seriously. Take assembling seriously. Uh, find reasons to be here, not reasons not to be here. Find, find that it becomes your weekly fix, that you need to be together with God's people and enjoy. Let me just... Uh, Reverend Katie Shockley explains it this way. When, when we gather in worship, we praise God with believers we cannot see. When we celebrate Holy Communion, we feast with the past, present, and even future disciples of Jesus Christ. We experience the communion of saints, the community of believers, living and the dead. This faith community that you're a part of, stretches beyond space and time. We commune with Christians around the world, believers who came before us, and believers who will still come after us. We believe that the church is the communion of the saints. And as a believer, 
you belong to the communion of the saints. Becoming a part of this universal church happens when you believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Being a member of Cornerstone Baptist Church happens when you make a covenant commitment that you want to be a part of our church family. If you're a born-again believer, already a part of the universal church, now make the commitment to be a part of the local church. Uh, Chris, I think you had a a class just a week or so ago where you had some new people coming through, and it it happens all the time, every few weeks here. December 11th, next uh, Discover Cornerstone class is Sunday, December the 11th. If you're at that stage where you're saying, I'm ready to make a commitment, let me just answer one question. Why should I be a part of a church? Why should I be a member of a church? Why don't I just attend casually and come and go as I please and be free? Because when you become a member, it gives you a chance to make a commitment. That's why. Anytime you can make a commitment to Jesus Christ, that's a cool moment. This morning is really about that for the believers here. Now, if you have not been saved, there will be somebody here in just a moment who can pray with you and show you how to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Some of our deacons will just come and be here. They're not in your face. They're not going to tackle you if you want to come and pray. They're not going to impose their life upon you. But if you need help, all you have to do is turn to one of them. There is something powerful about having a church leader pray with you. If you're struggling with sin that you've already confessed, but yet it keeps popping into your mind and you have lingering guilt that you can't get closure on, you need to grab a church leader, kneel with them and say, I keep confessing this, but I'm haunted by the guilt and I struggle to let it go. Will you pray with me? You may find you can find closure through that process. If you're struggling with sickness, the book of James says, let the elders of the church pray over you. Do you all believe that's in the Bible? The church has never practiced that. Let's start practicing that. If you're sick this morning, Alan will be right here in just a minute. If he needs help, he'll grab Tommy and JD. Miss Susan's here. She's an elder. Let the elders of the church pray over you. Why would you be sick if you cannot be sick? (laughs) It's that simple, okay? Uh, Some of you need to join the church in an official, committed way. I want you to find Chris after church or the welcome desk. They'll show you how to get into Discover Cornerstone. Let's get ready for communion right now. Communion is about rededication. Every time we take it, this is spiritual rededication where you say, God, if I haven't told you lately, it's like we're doing your vows. God, if I haven't told you lately, I love you. I'm yours. You're mine. I realize what you did on the cross, and I'm so thankful for it. That's what we're about to do. Let's stand together. First, a moment of prayer. Let's stand together. It's easier for you to move about if you need to. I'm just going to ask you right where you are not to focus on anybody but yourself. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. When you close your eyes, it's easier just to look internally, not get caught up with anything else going on around you. If you need someone to pray with you, there are people already gathered here now to help you. But for the whole church this morning, you're about to take communion. Now you understand a little bit about communion is participation. Communion is about honoring Christ. This specific meal ritual we're about to do has to do with the body and blood of Christ as the payment for your sins. If nothing else, 
Could you find a moment this morning, whether it's where you are or on bended knee before the church this morning, and just say to Jesus Christ, thank you, thank you, thank you, that you gave yourself on the cross to pay for my sins. I had a debt I could not pay. And you stepped in and paid a debt you didn't owe. And if I lived a thousand lifetimes, Jesus, I couldn't give you thanks enough and praise enough and honor enough for what you've done in my life. God, thank you that you gave yourself on the cross as my substitute. I just want for a moment you to pour that out to God. Just unpack those thoughts and that gratitude before God this morning. No one's ever loved you like He loves you. He knows all about you. And yet if you'll ask, He's forgiven. He will forgive everything you've ever done. He'll give you a fresh start. And that's really what communion's about this morning. A fresh start little covenant renewal right now a fresh way to say thank you to God before I close this prayer I'd like for everybody in the room just to say Lord if there's any sin in my life anything I've let pile up and not address before you God right now in this stillness just speak to my heart if there's something I need to say I'm sorry for so something I need to repent of God I don't want there to be anything between me and you If you'll just bring it to my conscious mind right now, any trespass in my life, I'll confess it right now, and I'll ask for your forgiveness. And I'll acknowledge that your grace is sufficient and that you will forgive me and you will love me 